Before we get to the show, I wanted to say thank you for supporting, downloading, and streaming The Church in Fix. I know that when I originally kicked off this podcast, I did not think that anyone was going to listen to it at all. I've listened to every episode you've put out. So one of the biggest things um, that I think is a disconnect between, uh, I can't speak for my generation, but for me uh, and, and any elder is the belief that prayer works. You know, while I've done a lot of bad things in my life, you know, God, if you're, if you're real, you know, I, I pray that you forgive me. Welcome back to the Church in Fix. We appreciate all of our listening audience. And I've got a feeling that right now you do have some downtime to listen to podcasts. So I'm expecting that our listenership is going to just skyrocket. I've seen the charts. I've seen the graphs. High expectations for the rest of 2020. Anyway, we've got a very special guest this afternoon, all the way from the sunny state of Florida. And he is involved in several ministries. He's a pastor of a church. He's involved in youth and hyphen type ministries. He's going to tell us a little bit of all that before we get to our main topic, and I want to welcome Michael Guerra. How are you? Doing well, man. Did I, yeah, did I butcher your last name? Even, we okay, even though we practiced it? (laughs) No, you you got it. You got it. We're, we're good. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I'm really glad that we're we're able to set set aside some time and and have a conversation. I don't know how many of these podcasts you might have listened to. Hopefully, at least one. Um, probably not any from the looks of your face right now, but uh, that's okay too. <laughs> um, but what what our purpose is and our goal is. We like people to be able to listen. It doesn't matter if they come from a church background, uh, what denominal background they come from, if they're involved in ministry or anything like that. But we want them to be able to listen to this and and pull some nuggets out of the conversation, something that will help them. You know, the main goal is to always to see them grow in their own personal relationships with God. But as you already are well aware, I'm not telling you anything new as our relationships with God develop then that affects and it has an impact on the relationships that we have with other people. So in turn, it also affects the relationships with people. So, so I'm hoping that today our conversation is going to open up that opportunity. So, so first of all, I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to just be quiet and let you run with it for a little while. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, what ministry involvement that you are currently engaged in and kind of what your hopes are for the future before we get started. Yeah, so um, I am on this strange and incredible and terrifying and frustrating and exhilarating journey of starting a church. Uh, My wife and I uh, planted Connect Point Church in uh, back in back in 2013. Uh, We started with Bible study groups, just home groups and things like that. We launched in April of 2013. We fully launched with services every week, and um, we've been at it kind of ever since. So that that puts us at about uh, a little over six and a half years of um, being in in the Middleburg community here, which is kind of a a suburb of Jacksonville, Florida, northeast area. So um, church planners were also um, involved in. Um, curriculum writing for the organization. Um, I write uh, Link 247 curriculum for youth and and occasionally hyphen, and I am the junior high editor for Word of Flame Sunday School curriculum for the UPC. Um, uh, Outside of that, uh, served on our district youth team for a number of years, but we, we recently resigned from that about a year ago. Oh, not hands, not in as many pots as it used to be kind of trying to focus a little more narrowly on uh, just our church and, and trying to be a good dad. If you hear small people in the background, that's probably my kids. So um, that's, that's, that's pretty customary around here. So, so real quick, tell me, tell me how many kids do you have or how many children do you have? Because I've heard from some of our mutual friends, uh, numbers that range from four to 10. So I'm... <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, it's it's amazing. My my dad is one of nine, 
And uh, I, I thought that was a big family, and that was my perspective of a big family. And then I learned that if you have more than three kids, your family is just humongous, and you might as well have 12. At least that's people's reaction. But I have four children. I'm an 11-year-old um, who is every bit of 11. Prayers appreciated. Uh, a nine-year-old. Uh, they're both girls. I have a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl who turns five in April. Nice. So, okay, so now it makes sense why you are involved in the Sunday school curriculum uh, writing. So there you go. So they well, for, for junior hires. Oh, for one one's still scary. I have a, I've assisted with um, uh Sunday school for little kids before and just the whole prospect of that scares me half to death. So I, I try to stick to the teenagers as much as possible. Gotcha. So. Well, that brings a, a question that I've always had. So I, I myself served on the, um, uh, I can't remember what we called it back then. I think the names have changed, but it was essentially the children's committee or the Sunday school committee, uh, for one of the um, Southern Texas districts for a number of years. And we were involved in all the kids camps and all of that kind of stuff. And we, we, while we were engaged in that, we watched the way youth ministry was performed uh, at the same time. So it sounds like you've got your hands and in, in, or have had your hands in a mix of both of those. What are some of the differences that you see in the way that those are managed from an organizational standpoint? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Um, I, I I think I think from an organizational perspective, what what we find is that in particularly within the United Pentecostal Church, we require people who are working with uh, the youth committee to be um, uh, under the age of forty, and I think it's on a district level, it's actually under the age of thirty-five. And so with that, um, with that youth, you come, you, you bring a lot of flexibility, a lot of fluidity. Uh, you see uh, really some pretty unique and, and original ideas and ways of approaching things and um, an emphasis on things being uh, current and, uh, and I guess, relevant to, to the existing culture. Uh, I think for, if you look, for example, at, at North American Youth Congress, you know, back when I was going to the North American Youth Congress as a teenager, you know, we were getting excited when you know it got north of, of ten thousand people, and then now we're we're putting you know somewhere in the ballpark of thirty five thousand, forty thousand teenagers into these football stadiums, and 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 a lot of that is just because of how um, innovative and creative the youth department is. But but that's their, that's their niche, that's their goal, that's what they're aiming for. Um, when it comes to children's ministries. You, you don't see as much uh, of that. You, you don't see necessarily as much as much innovation, um, but there is more of an emphasis on, you know, what what are the timeless things? What are the the principles that we know from years of study of uh, childhood education, early childhood education, and development? And uh, there's a great amount of research and study that goes into understanding how children learn their development uh, tracks and um, and how we can meet those needs. And then how can we make that as, um, how can we make that as uniform as possible? Um, so where on the one hand, some would say, okay, children's ministry isn't, isn't, well, the goal is not to be innovative. The goal is to, to operate with years of research that's been done that says, this is what works when we're ministering to children. And um, and making sure that the material there is timeless, that you can pick it up, you know, um, 20 years from now, and it's still it's still going to be probably valid, and and you can still use that in a classroom setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So, so when you when you when you talk about the development of the children and and that kind of focus as far as the development of the resources that are available for the churches to use. What is the difference between that and what resources are produced for the youth age? Um, so I think mo a lot of it's fairly similar uh, with the exception that, you know, like for, from working from a Sunday school 
curriculum perspective, a lot of it's fairly similar except for the types of activities you do. So the activities for kids is much more hands-on. There's more illustrations. There's more, um, you know, they may involve um, characters and themes to a deeper level. Uh, and, and that's what you would see, right? If, if, if kids... Um, if kids are watching programming, it's bright, it's colorful, right. there's, there's characters, morality is very basic and things like that. Um, whereas you get into, uh, teens and young adults, their lives become so much more complex. Right. So there's less of an emphasis on, on, uh, on some of those aspects as it is like on more practical real life s- scenarios. And then there's also, you know, obviously these teenagers have the ability to read and write and are, are being encouraged to be engaged in their own spiritual formation. So there's more tools to help them grow on their own. Mm. That's really probably the biggest shift is where in children's ministry, the focus is on teaching kids. Um, when it gets into the youth age, we're really like trying to emphasize how do you start to self disciple? How are you having these conversations with yourself when you're outside of the church building, outside of the small group setting, whatever the case may be. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that you answered the question or at least what I was looking for in in regards to the key differences. It's, it's learning how to teach yourself, learning how to move forward, making sure that you're going to continue down that path. So one is more foundational. And then the second is kind of doing that deep dive and making sure that you you're grounded, you're planted and you're not going anywhere from that standpoint. Yeah. So, so I'm an instructional designer by trade, which is a fancy way of saying I work in corporate training. I write curriculum for a living. Um, and, and one of the things that a curriculum writers we talk about is what's called a terminal objective, which means like, it's just a fancy way of saying when they walk away from this, what behavior do we want to see or what knowledge do we want to see gained? Right? So like on a children's level, if you're teaching on prayer, what we want to see on that, on that basic level is Jesus loves you. Jesus listens to you, right? That's what we're trying to communicate to the smallest of children is Jesus listens to you, mm-hmm. right? To a child that's a little bit older, we want to communicate when you're scared, when you're concerned, when you don't know what to do, you can talk to Jesus and he'll help you feel better. Um, if, you know, when you're sick, you can talk to Jesus and, and, and Jesus will listen and Jesus can heal. That's some of the things we're wanting to teach. But when we get into teenagers, the terminal objective changes because it's not as much about the nuts and bolts of prayer as it is getting them to pray. How do you, now the terminal objective is not, let's talk about how much Jesus loves you. The terminal objective is we want them praying every day. Mm -hmm. So you have to approach that differently. You have to teach differently when your goal is we want them praying every day on their own. We want them getting up and, and saying, I need to pray before I do anything else today. So how, how do we, how do we translate that? How do we, how do we bring that to bear? And that, that's going to look very different than than some of the building blocks that hopefully they got, you know, the younger child coming up in the church. Mm-hmm. Man, that's uh, that, that's awesome. And I love hearing you talk about it. And, uh, you know, even though you and I don't know each other that well, knowing what you do for a living and making that connection back to how you're being used, uh, you know, of God to write curriculum uh, within the church setting is, is really awesome. It's neat how, how the parallel is there between the talents that God gives you, not only for his kingdom, but also to go and take care of your family and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a God thing. Um, so you know, just a little bit of background on that. I, I started out my career taking calls in a call center. Uh, for a major health insurance company. And I knew sitting in that classroom the very first day, listening to the instructor teach. And, and you know, uh, your listening audience may not know me too terribly well. Um, so I'm, I'm going to uh, file a disclaimer here to say, I promise I am not uh, an arrogant person. But uh, when I started this job, I was like 19 years old. Um, and if if 19 year olds are short on anything, it's typically not confidence in themselves. <laughs> and, um, I was sitting in there as a 19 year old kid and, and I was thinking to myself, I, I, I can do this better. <laughs> I, I can do this better. And, and it's kind of stuck with me. And, and, uh, and God opened some doors for me to move into the corporate training department. And then from there, because of some things that happened, uh, you know, this is around uh, 2007, 2008, when the economy started to struggle. And we let go about half of our of our corporate training staff. 
there was a need for people that were willing to pick up curriculum and start working with curriculum. And I really found a passion and niche for that. And um, to make a very long story short, um, God has opened the doors for me to write curriculum and train internationally to train a myriad of different roles in the corporate world from executive level leadership um, to you know, line area customer service reps, nurses, sales reps, IT professionals, and so on. And really, I should have a master's degree for what I'm doing. And, uh, and I'm currently working on finishing my undergrad uh, through Urshan College. So I don't even have a bachelor's. And, and I'm doing a job that I, I shouldn't even gotten an interview without a master's degree. So, so God, you know, he places gifts and callings on us. And if we trust him and we're faithful, uh, then he, he opens doors for us that, that only he can open. Um, and, and really, it's just that, that core principle of, of faithfulness that I have this gift, I have this talent. And, and if I'll, I'll make it available for God's use, then, then God will, will reward me for, for making that available to him. And that's so, that's so good. That's so good. Well, I think that that's a good, you know, quick introduction of, you know, who you are, what you're involved in. And, uh, and I love the way that you ended that there, there is no doubt in my mind that not only is God faithful, but there is something that happens in, in the realm of the spiritual sense that we can't even put our fingers on that when we will just be you know, followers of the word of God and we're faithful to him and, and what his desires are in our life, that he will just open up doors of opportunity for us to step through. And I know that that's uh, going to be encouraging for people to hear about. But uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today, and we kind of talked on the phone um, the other day about the direction of, of the, or the topic that I wanted to cover um, and, and I know that you have ground level experience in this. And so I felt like your perspective was going to be unique for our, anyone that's going to be listening to this. And, and that is your experience, not only planting a church, but in the, uh, a broader topic is the way that the church structure is set up and the way that the church, the global church or the local national churches help support church plants uh, through maybe it's promotions, maybe it's through financial support, things of that nature. And how, how do they all work together? Because at the end of the day, um, building churches is not about building kingdoms. Building churches is about seeing the kingdom of God expand and allowing there to be a place where believers can come together and they can worship and they can grow in their faith and then they can grow in their community with other believers as well. So what kind of, what did it look like if you could kind of walk us through those steps when you got ready to launch a church? I don't know where you planted in a church where you were assisting a, uh, a senior pastor or kind of walk us through what that path looks like. Sure. And, and I'll, I'll try hard to give you the, the Reader's Digest version. Um, so we were faithfully serving in the church that I basically grew up in. Um, I was a Navy brat, so we bounced around when I was younger. We landed in Jacksonville when I was 12 years old, and we served uh, at the First United Pentecostal Church of Jacksonville, uh, essentially since I got out of high school uh, on, on their youth team in various capacities. And, and eventually, uh, we became the youth pastors and we had been serving as youth pastors there for about, I think about five years. And, um, I just, I just felt this overwhelming tug from the spirit that, you know, Hey, this is, this is over. This is it. You're done. And, um, and I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was pretty hard headed dug in with God on that. You know, I was like, God, this is, this is my thing. I'm good at this. You've opened doors in this. You've blessed me. Um, I've had opportunity to network with incredible people and, and all that. I, I'm no, I'm not done with this. Um, and, uh, and, and God kind of kept working on my and working on me until it got to the point where I couldn't ignore him anymore. And I went to my pastor and said, listen, this is, this is what I'm feeling. And, uh, he, you know, he agreed with me and, and felt like, that was God and, and wanted us to pray about the next step. So when I was, when, when my wife and I first got married, I sat down with a sheet of paper and a pen and, you know, just some dumb stuff that young people do. So, you know, 
I, we got married. I was 20 years old. I, you know, again, I was, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. And uh, I, I got down with a, a pen and a piece of paper and I, I, just, I made a list of all the things that I was willing to do for God in like the order of interest or desire. And at the very top of that list was youth ministry, just had an extreme passion for it, even at that age. And at the very bottom of the list, the last item on the list was global missions. Like I did not want to leave the United States of America right above that was start a church. Like, like uh, God, if it's start a church or go to Uganda, I will start a church, but I have no desire whatsoever to start a church. Um, then, uh, you know, you know, here, here we are and I'm having this conversation with my pastor. He's like, what's next? And I said, I don't really know. Um, and, uh, you know, the one thing I did know was I, I didn't want to pastor and I didn't want to start a church. That's kind of like the things I, I knew. And, um, I had a couple opportunities. My, my entire family lives in Texas. I had a couple opportunities to, uh, try out for some churches there and, and, and other types of roles. And, um, and I did, and it just didn't feel right. And we were at our district men's conference and um, in a minister session. And my best friend, he wanted to plant a church. And um, the, the superintendent was, was really kind of talking about his passion and heart for planting churches. And altar call happened, and he's praying. And, like, I'm just praying with him, you know. Like, I'm just being that supportive friend. I put my hand on his shoulder, like, yeah, God, touch my friend. And he wants to plant a church. And something just hit me, and I just began to weep. And, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, not a big, like God told me kind of person. I try to be very careful about that. But if I ever heard directly from God, I did then. And, um, and I felt the spirit say to me, uh, I want you to plan a church, but you're too scared. And, and I responded like, this is me. This is legitimately how this conversation went. And, and hopefully people don't find this offensive, but I'm just sharing what happened. I responded. I was like, I was like, God, what do you mean? I can't start a church. I, yeah, I'm scared. Of course I'm scared. I have kids. <laughs> what are they going to do in, in a church plant? Like they're not even going to have anybody to hang out with. They're not going to be friends. And God's like, uh, and, and God responds to me. So do you know how to save your kids? And I was like, well, God, I, how are we going to have the money? I don't, there's, we can't afford to start a church. Like, have you seen my bank account, God? How am I going to start a church? And, and, and God said to me, if you will start it, you will never have to worry about the money. I said, okay, all right, you know, fine, whatever. You know, like passive aggressive, almost like, okay, whatever. You know, um, what the uh, guy down the road and settled on a community that we felt like God was, pulling on us toward and met with a district board. They approved us two weeks later. I got a promotion uh, that resulted in a $25,000 a year pay raise. Um, and we were able to, to finance our church in those early years uh, without it negatively impacting our family. We just didn't adjust our lifestyle. We were able to put that toward the church and, and, and able to finance it until the church grew to the point that it could support itself. So, um, so it's kind of like that, the calling aspect, but we, we had no idea what we were doing. We still have no idea what we're doing back then. We really had no idea what we were doing. And this was really right before, um, everybody started, uh, you know, really putting an emphasis on, on church planning and, and uh, what was, you know, programs. And, and real quick, I want to interject because one of the things that I think about a lot is when, when you talk to so many people and they talk about ministers you'll hear things like, Oh, it's all about the money or oh, they're going to get this tax deduction or they're going to, you know, it's always with this negative spin, but it, it always surprises me that uh, so many people don't understand how close to home it is when you've got a, a minister who is bivocational, they are putting their blood, sweat and tears into trying to support their family, do right by their family and then also turn around and build a church with no financial support coming in. They're doing this out of their own pocket. Many of the time, sometimes their families have to go without and they're doing everything that they possibly can to build something for the work of God, because, because they believe that this is a calling that he's called them to. And I think sometimes people need to hear that people need to hear that, that ministers 
give so much of their, not only their life and their time, but their money, their finance their personal finance into seeing the ministry move forward. Yeah. Um, I, I think if there's, if there's anything, uh, that, that your listeners can take away about the early stages of from a financial standpoint is you have probably heard uh, prognostications that if you're starting a small business, uh, just plan on not turning a profit for two to just you're going to be dumping money into thing out of it. And um, I would say that, you know, churches are, are probably small business from that standpoint that it, when, when a, when a church planner is starting out, um, unless he just has a significant amount of support from outside sources, it's the majority of it is, is his own personal finances that are going into keeping it afloat. And, and, you know, certainly even if he has support from outside sources, probably still a significant amount of his finances is going into it in, in that, in that two to five year window. Um, if, if you think in of a, a, a startup church, uh, in a lot of ways, it does relate to a startup business and, and some of the things that, that we experience and go through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that's not, I don't want to put the focus on money. I just, I, I think it's, 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 it's noble. And I think that it's something that people need to realize. They need to understand. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad pastored a small church in a small town and I, I saw firsthand what we went through, uh, as a family. And, and that's not to put a negative spin on it because I think that those were positive faith builders in our life. I remember, you know, I remember times where it was like, we pray for food to show up and food shows up. I remember there was times that God directed dad to go to a different town, to go to a church and somebody just walk up to him and put money in his pocket and say that God told him to give it to him. And, and so seeing things like that, that, that built my faith. That was as a kid getting to see that firsthand changed the way that I looked at so many things in this life. And it really puts the focus of God being the source of our, anything that we desire, as far as you desire bread, God's the source of your bread. You desire housing, God's the source of your housing. And it's a, it's, it teaches you to have that dependency on God for all things. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But anyway, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just when you went down that path, I was like, it just, it really just jumped out to me right then and there, but uh, yeah, go on and tell us about it. So. That's okay. So, um, so obviously the, the finances were, you know, uh, God working that out was tremendous, but there's still, uh, there's still other aspects, right? So there's three, there's three things you need to start a church. Um, you need, you need people, uh, you need finances and you need resources and, you know, resources are kind of a broad category. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that fall under that resources category, but, you know, from things like, you know, how to or training all the way down to where are you going to meet and what, uh, what, what sound equipment are you going to get? And, and what we discovered very quickly is that there just isn't a lot out there for people who are doing what we call the, the parachute drop church plant where it's a family that just feels a call for a community and they're going into that community. There's tons of stuff out there for churches that have, you know, a launch budget or churches that have a launch team or so on and so forth. But there is very, very little out there for your, and, and again, because there is so much out there for the people assume that is the majority of your people starting churches that everybody going out to start a church is going out with a team of, of, of 10 people and a, and a budget of $50,000. And, you know, and that's just not the case. That's right. The right. majority of church planners is a husband and wife, maybe one other family with no money, no contacts, nothing but a Bible study and a call of God. Right. Average church getting started. So, so that, that brings up one of the questions uh, that I have personally as, as an outsider looking into someone planting a church right from the ground up. And, and again, I'm going to, 
I'm going to ask this question in a general sense. I don't have anything to go off of. I don't have any preconceived sure. notions. Just a general question here. And that is one of the things that I think about when I think about launching churches is usually unless you have a really small town in the middle of nowhere, you have some pretty decent sized churches that surround a lot of the local cities. I would say within at least a 30 to 40 mile radius of wherever that church yeah. is going to be launched. And, yeah, no doubt. And, and if that's the case, I've always wondered if, if we're trying to grow the kingdom, is there anything unethical? And I'm asking this question, is there anything unethical about churches? Like, let's say if there's three churches, each of those three churches say we have two families or we have three families that feel the call to be a part of a, a launch team. And even if they don't stay there long term, but maybe come in there and you get a launch team that's made up of people that are close enough to that area that could actually help because that could do, do things like build the financial support structure that needs to be in place early on. It could do things like help the pastor, you know, the senior pastor who's trying to carry the load all by himself, actually have a team of people helping him promote the vision. And then as it grows, you know, maybe the options could be, you know, once it grows to a certain size, those people go back to those churches or maybe they become launch teams somewhere else. Or because if it's about seeing the body of Christ or the kingdom of, of God grow, to me, it seems like that would be a logical. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but it seems that it would be a logical plan. But my perspective is I don't see a lot of that happening. Do you have any sure. thoughts about that? Yeah, I have some thoughts and here's where, um, so, so this is just me. So you, uh, you and I have a mutual friend in Noah Watt yeah. and, uh, and what one thing that Noah likes to say is to not compare your blooper reel to other people's highlight reel. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's what people post online and some people talk about, right. They share their highlight reel. I was committed to from day one. Like I'm going to share my blooper reel too, because I don't want, you know, some, some young man, young lady coming along to plant a church in a community. And all they've heard is the, the, the rosy stories of everything that went right for everybody. Right. I want to know there's people out there that struggled through this. And so the struggles you're having are not unique to you. The problems are not unique to you. There are other people that have struggled through this and it's okay. And you'll survive this and it's, it's going to be all right. Um, so there, there were many times that I, I, I came to that question myself, you know, what, you know, is there anything unethical about people sharing resources and all that? And, um, and I think probably, and I say this just in, in my own network of, of, of fellow church planners, I think, I think most church planners feel like, you know, man, people need to send people to help church plants. Like, you know, if these pastors of these large churches would just be willing to let people go and come out, you know, if, if pastors weren't so territorial, things like that. These are some of the things you hear said, right? So so let's let's take the veneer off of that. Okay. So yes, in an ideal world, um, you know, if I'm planning in a in, in a community and there's a church down the road that runs five hundred and we're the same, you know, you know, doctrinal perspective and so on, that, you know. You know, we don't have a keyboard player and they've got seven keyboards, keyboard players deep, you know, hey, send us a keyboard player. Um, but there's a few things that, that to factor in, you know, first of all, um, the pastor has to be concerned about the spiritual health of that individual. You know, it, it may not be the healthiest thing for that person to to engage in ministry outside the local church. There could be things that pastor is aware of. Surprise, surprise that me from an outsider's perspective, don't, I'm not aware of in that person's life. It could not be, it's, it's perhaps not that the pastor's trying to hoard that person, but the pastor's trying to protect both that person and protect me. Um, you know, just candidly, there have been scenarios where I have inquired about a particular couple that I knew was maybe in transition. And, and, and I've had that pastor say, you know, um, it, you know, we, we love you. We believe in you. Um, uh, and, and we know you need help. But I'm telling you, that person's not going to be the help that you need. This is, this is not going to be the best scenario for your church. And uh, and and I've watched as down the road uh, that that played out to be the case that you know that that couple maybe left that church and went somewhere else and was causing problems in another church. So um, 
So that's one aspect of it. Sometimes their spiritual maturity isn't what it looks like from the outside. Um, here's another reality. There's not a whole lot of people at these churches raising their hands and saying, hey, I want to go help somebody. The reality of it is there's just not a lot of people sitting on pews saying, hey, I want to go help a church plant. Um, you know, the, the burden's not there. And uh, you, you've probably heard the, the phrase before that exposure breeds burden. And they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of running down their own lane. They're, they're, they're doing their own thing. And, and to try to say, hey, listen, we're over here. We, we have this church we're starting. Uh, you know, we'd love for you to come help. There's, there's no burden. There's no desire there. They're not, you know, actively looking for a ministry outside of their local church. There's just not a lot of people raising their hand and saying, hey, I want to go help the church plan. It's not in our culture. It's not in our DNA. We don't talk about those kind of things. Um, and, and we're starting to. We're trying to. And, um, and we're probably seeing more of it than we used to. But we're, we're still not seeing it uh, on the level that we need to. So even if pastors are open to it, even if pastors are okay with it, uh, there's just not people that are, that are wanting to do it. And I'll give you a classic example. So uh, when we got started, um, the, the pastor in my home church um, said, hey, listen, you know, if, if you're willing to have services at 2 o'clock or whatever, we'll send a team, you know, every week to help you and, uh, you know, help you do music, help you, help you get things going. And, um, and, and, and and that was, that was very helpful, very supportive, but, you know, here's what we found with that is that, you know, these people are, they're going to church at their, at their home church on Sunday, they're still engaged in activities and things going on there. You know, when they're coming out to be with us, they're, they're willing to help. Um, and, and certainly some of them, some of them were prayerful. Some of them came in ministry minded and some of them are just like, Hey, we're just here to help. Um, and, and there wasn't really a burden for it. There wasn't really a hunger for it. They're just kind of there to run the computer or there to play the piano or, or, or whatever. Um, but he communicated through that. Listen, you know, at the end of this, if, if somebody has caught a burden and wants to come be a part of it, wants to come help you, let's sit down and have a conversation about it. If, if, if you know, they're a good fit and they're spiritually healthy and all that, I'm for it. So, so here's what we found that after a year uh, almost of, of our, home church supporting us in that way we got to the end of that year and nobody raised their hand uh nobody really felt a burden to come and stay with us so so even with that exposure to it there was still you know hey my my peer group is 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 over here my life is over here my job is over here you know all these factors uh you know play into it so uh so sure i, I ideally Ideally, we would say, hey, you know, I'm putting a team together. Do you have anybody who can help? And pastor would say, you know, absolutely, yeah. Uh, we'd love to send people to help. Hey, church, anybody want to go help? Yeah, we want to go help. But this is not what happens. Mm -hmm. It just isn't. So, so you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, but I think the most important thing is to factor in the reality of, of kind of where people are at. Until there's a significant shift in, in the culture, uh, around around that and and people are coming forward and saying you know what i see the value in starting churches in other communities and i feel like i want to be a part of that until we start to see that on a more organic level then we're not going to really see a uptick in people choosing to be involved in those kind of opportunities you know it's it's interesting hearing you say that because um while i'm not surprised by that um i think that I think that more, I don't know, I want to say that most people would be surprised because you you do see exactly to your point earlier of there seems to be a lot of gifting that is in like kind of like little hot spots, little circles of excellence. And to your point, people may not be the right fit, but you would think that there would be a, a larger network out there than what exists. But at the same time, uh, I have another friend who is a church planner as well. And one of the challenges that, that he has talked to me about uh, in a few times in passing was just trying to find somebody to come in and yeah. join his team to where, you know, they've grown. I think that they're running about a hundred people now and it was a church plant from the ground up. And then he, he's like, you know, 
we need a team. We need, and, and he's had, he's sent letters to, uh, reached out to different uh, Bible institutions and things like that and trying to get somebody over to uh, his area has been, it's been rough. It really has. Yeah. 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 I, and I feel for him. I really do. Cause like I said, we, man, we've been there. Um, and you know, same deal. Like I've, I've talked to, I've talked to churches, I've talked to pastors and I've sent, you know, sent letters out, sent, you know, uh, social media blast out, talk to colleges, whatever. And, and, you know, certainly there's scenarios where perhaps a pastor is, is just, you know, maybe not willing to let somebody go because they, they don't want to have to figure out how to operate without them. I'm, I'm sure, you know, we're all human beings and I'm, I'm sure that that's the case from time to time. But what I've found is overwhelmingly, it's just people aren't interested um, unless you're willing to, to uh, provide some kind of a uh, you know, financial support for them. And well, and that leads me, well, and that leads me back to, I guess, where really what our original topic is, is really, I think it takes, somebody has to have a burden and be called to an area yeah. and, and yeah. the heartbeat of God has to be pushing them and directing them. And then in regards to that, maybe the support comes from when there needs to be financial support, or maybe there's an event that uh, you want to sponsor and you reach out to some local pastors in that way. I mean, are there things like that that you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, man, we've got tremendous pastors in my area. They're very supportive. They've had open hearts and open hands with us and um, been very supportive of us. I, I know that's not the experience of everybody, but it's certainly been our experience. And Part of that is because I, I just, I committed on day one, if somebody asked me, what can we do to help? I'm going to answer them honestly. And sometimes people have asked, what can I do to help? And my answer has been, well, you can write us a check. And man, you'd be surprised how many people just pulled their checkbook out when I said that. And there's people that care. Um, but then, you know, from a, from a people aspect too, one of the things is when we first got started, we reached out to pastors in our area and said, hey, listen, we can really use... Uh, a couple of youth groups to just help us canvas the area, just hand out door hangers, whatever, knock on doors, talk to people, you know, hold a block party, whatever, just to get the awareness out there. Cause again, like as a small business, you know, small business was one of the first things you have to do is try to create awareness that you're out there, right? Nobody knows you're there. And so as a church, you know, that's, that's, that's step one. We got to make sure people know we're here and how do we even be, how do we even do that? How do we even begin that process? So, um, we had on several occasions, we had a youth group help that helped us work a Christmas parade. We had a youth group that actually went door to door with us and did door hangers. We had a youth group that helped us that actually came all the way from South Florida up here and helped us uh, not only canvas the area, but, but do uh, some community service events and things like that. Uh, we have had churches offer uh, to help us with music and uh and, and when we first got started, we didn't have anybody that did music. My wife was still learning the piano. She's gotten incredibly good at it. Um, she's turned into a, a, a dynamic worship leader. But starting out, you know, she was just kind of figuring her, her way out with that. And um, we had a few people send music teams. We've had people send teams for big events. Um, we've had, uh, you know, we've had pastors send us Bible studies and print material. Uh, we've had pastors... Um, you know, just, uh, we, we've had pastors in labor, you know, if we were building out a storefront or something like that, and, and we needed people skilled labor, we've had pastors in that. So as far as like the, the, the one time, you know, here and there kind of things, we found the church to be very, very open with us and very willing to help us any way, any way they can. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a, an email or a text message from somebody saying, Hey, you know, we've got, you know, 20 chairs sitting in the back room. Do you need them? We've got, you know, we just swapped out our soundboard. Do you need a soundboard? Um, as a matter of fact, your, your, uh, your church, um, the, the screen we use, uh, every Sunday for our, uh, projector came from your church. So there's, there's been, I mean, really churches all over the country. We've gotten checks in the mail from churches I've never heard of. I, I didn't even know how they knew we were out there. Didn't know the pastor, didn't know anything about the church. We just got a check from them. And, uh, you know, if, if people know that you need help, my, my experience has been they're, they're willing to help. 
um, with some of those things that, that don't require a recurring commitment. Right. Right. I mean, that, that I love that. And that goes back to what I, I guess some of the th- questions I personally had as far as what are we doing as a church body, you know, in regards to church plants and stories like that are just, I mean, they, they warm the soul because I know that, uh, again, you and I haven't spoken, so I don't have any idea but I would assume that there's times that if you have been down, that it's encouragement that comes from the churches that are reaching out to support and saying, come on, get up. You can, you can move it. You can get it going. You can, I mean, God's with you. Uh, you know, this is the burden God's placed in your heart and you're going to reach the city. And it's, it's probably an encouragement or forms of encouragement, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that, that right there, that right there is so key. And, you know, again, let's pull back the curtain and be real, okay? 75% of the time when you talk to a church planner, they're discouraged. This is a very, very difficult process. And particularly early on, you have way more hard Sundays than you do good Sundays. You have way more difficult weeks than you have weeks that you feel like went well. You have way more, you have a much larger blooper reel than you do highlight reels. You know, I remember, you know, um, our, our first year, um, driving in, in, uh, in my car through our community. And, and I just, I was just crying and not like sad tears, but like angry tears, just like, and I was like, God, why did you ask this of me? Why did, I don't even know what I'm doing, God. What are you, why? Um, and you know, the, the, the most frustrating question you can ask any pastor, but I think particularly pastors of small churches, and, and I would say maybe just a little biased here, particularly of a small church that also happens to be a church plant, is how many are you running? If somebody asks me, just be real, if somebody asks me how many are you running, I have to resist the urge to punch them in the face. I have to resist the urge to lie to them. Because I don't want to admit that on an average Sunday, we probably have about 30 or so people. That, that feels embarrassing when you're six and a half years into this process. But the reality of it is we have 30 or so people that would not potentially be in church if we weren't there. We have 30 or so people that are, that are solid people that are grounded and rooted and growing in their discipleship. We have 30 or so people that are way further along in their walk with God than they were six months ago or a year ago. And these are people that are engaged in the work of God and are passionate about the things of God. And there's churches that have 200 people going and they don't have 30 people they can say that about. So these are 30 people that are spirit filled. I mean, I can go on and on. We have an incredible, incredible church family. And, and, and people ask you, how many do you run? And it's like, what, what does it matter? Like, well, why is this, you know, why is it a competition? <laughs> um, it's a dumb question, really. I mean, if you run 30 people in a community of 5,000 people, are, are you better or worse than a church that runs 300 in a community of 5 million? It's a dumb question. So, but, but people will come to you and say, hey, man, how's it going? What can I help you pray about? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, you know, how, how did Sunday go? You know, those are the kind of questions that's like, man, you care about me. You know, our district superintendent texts me every Sunday morning, almost. And he just says, Hey man, I'm praying you guys have a great church today. Mm. So encouraging. Yeah. He doesn't have to care. He doesn't have to ask me, but he does. And, and, and you know, I have friends that reach out to me, other pastors in the community and, and, and they don't even ask me how things are going. They just look me in the eye and they say, you know what? You're doing a great job and I believe in you. And I want to say like, how do you even know I'm doing a great job? But you can see the sincerity in their faces. And it's like, Hey, we get it. We know what you're doing is hard and and we believe in you. So I think that that's, that's a big piece of it is, it, you know, instead of asking me how it's going, just, just understand that I need encouragement and be willing to encourage me. And, and then the other piece of that is, you know, in the process of that encouragement, like don't, and this is a candy stick of mine. Don't treat us like we're heroes and talk about us like we're heroes. 
And, and that sounds kind of counterintuitive because like you would think that would be encouraging, but here's the thing that that's frustrating about that is when you talk about somebody that like they're a hero, it, it, it comes across like, you know, you, you're a hero. You don't need anything. Like mm. nobody offers to help Superman. Right. He offers to help Batman or the Flash or Iron Man. Like they've got that. They're heroes. Like, you know, shots are fired and the police respond because they're heroes. Nobody's out there trying to help the police deal with it. And and this, you know, this that whole deal about, you know, tr- you know, treat putting church planners on pedestals and treating us like heroes. Like, we don't want you to think of us like heroes. We want you to think of us like normal people because you, you know, guess what? We struggle and we need help and we need encouragement and and we need a pat on the back. We don't wear capes. We're not any more anointed than anybody else is. We're not any braver than anybody else is. We're just as vulnerable. We're just as, as, as normal. We deal with all the frustrations everybody else deals with. And, 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 and we just, we want to be treated like we're normal people. We want people to recognize that, Hey, this is hard. This is difficult, but we're in this with you and we're here to help you. And we're, we're here to encourage you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you know, it's, 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 I've never thought about it from that perspective, but hearing you say that, what rings out to me is there, there's a network of ministers, some of them, you know, and some of them you don't know. Uh, and so many times, and I've never even thought about it, but, but when, when I've reached out to them or if they've reached out to me, to your point, those are the types of things you want to hear is, is check on me, make sure that, that I'm good, you know, make sure that you know, you don't read the Facebook and just think everything's great, you know, but, but really get to know me. And, you know, I had a, uh, a dear friend who passed away last year. And one of the things that I miss the most, I mean, there's a lot of things, but one of the things that I miss the most is he, it's like, he always knew when I was like really struggling as far as like, it could be like, just I didn't feel good or if I didn't like a situation and I would get a text message from him and they were simple text messages. They were just, they were, I'm praying for you and don't forget that I'm with you. And he would, that's what he put in his text messages. He says, I'm in this with you. And, and for those split seconds, you don't feel alone. You don't feel like you've got to try to, to your point wear the Superman cape or something, but you can be vulnerable and say, Hey, can I just come and talk to you about what I'm going through? Because I think that that's where, especially I would assume if I was planting a church and I've never planted one, but if I was planting one, I I think that it would be more encouraging for someone to reach out and say, Hey, let's get together and let's pray together. And let's, let's believe God together for what he's going to do in regards to ABC, not just, not just the assumption that everything's going great or, Hey, I saw everybody smiling on a Facebook photo. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, we all have, we all have, you know, certain people that you pass them on in a large meeting and they say, Hey, how are things going at your church? And you say, Oh, they're going great. Because you know that they're really not asking you how things are going at your church. <laughs> just, it's just, they don't know how to greet you without asking. Right. It's just particularly in the South, like mm-hmm. senators say, Hey, how are you doing? We don't care. We just, we just, we're just supposed to say, I'm doing great. How are you? It's kind of, it's kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah. I, yeah I, then we have a, a, a group then we have a group beyond that, that, they ask how things are going. Yeah, you know, how's your church going? They say, you know what? We're, you know, it's been a little rough lately. God's good. We're gonna be all right. You know, then you have another group that it's like, how are things going? You're know, like, man, I just, it's tough right now. I need you to pray for me. And then mm-hmm. you have your closest friends where people ask, how are things going? And you say, man, I am ready to pull my hair out. This is stupid. I want to quit. Like you just get raw and honest with them, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I had a moment of that one time where I was just, just going through it, man. I was just going through it and I was raw and honest. And, uh, and, and my friend said, Hey, listen, uh, let, let me call you later. And, uh, so later on that day, he called me on the phone and he didn't, he didn't try to give me advice. He didn't try to tell me, hang on, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, you know, um, you know, they that so in tears or reaping joy and, you know, uh, don't be weary and well doing and despise not the day of small things and all these verses in church planners here mm-hmm. 15 mm-hmm. times every other week. Uh, he said, Hey man, um, uh, is it all right if I pray with you? Mm. I'm like, 
I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that'd be cool. And and Brandon, he he didn't pray for me. He prayed for me. Like we're on the phone for 20 minutes, and he is crying out to God for me on this phone. Mm. And and I just was fighting back tears. And and that was the most meaningful thing anybody has ever done for me in this entire planning process. It wasn't, hey man, I'll be praying for you. It's hey, let's get on the phone right now. I want you to hear me crying out to God for you and know that I'm with you in this and that and that it's going to be all right and God is with you and God is supporting you and there are people praying with you. It's one thing for to hear people say I'm praying with you. It's another thing to hear people praying with you. Mm. And just it just lifted my spirit in a way that I can't even really articulate. And really, man, that's, that's what I think matters more than having somebody come play the keyboard for you on Sunday, more than somebody writing you uh, a $5,000 check for, for your next event or to pay for your rent for the rest of the year. Just, just to know that there are people in the trenches that will go beyond just hearing how you feel. And you know they want to feel it with you, mm. want to live it with you. They want to carry that burden with you, and that's so huge. Man, that, that's good right there. I mean, I, I, I didn't know I was going to invite you to preach, but but uh, <laughs> no, no, that's that that's so good, and I and I love that because in our 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 Facebook like society. You know, how many times does something happen and somebody says praying or prayers, but what does that mean? Yeah. But just exactly. stopping to make that phone call to you, man, what a friend, what a blessing. I, I, I believe that you probably have thanked God for that person several times, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. He is a yielded vessel in the hands of the mighty God. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Well, um, so, so, so to bring it up, uh, up, up a notch, cause that was, that was pretty heavy, man. It's pretty heavy. Um, so what are, what are some great things about church planning that, that has just been just, just great experiences for you? Yeah. So one, one of the, the coolest experiences about church planning is, um, you, you get to watch a, a baby develop. And it's like, you, you get to see that anytime you win somebody to the Lord. But when you're, when you're, you know, starting a church, it's like, uh, you know, when, when a child has their first birthday, man, you pull out all the stops and you celebrate that like crazy because it's such a monumental thing. And their second birthday and their third like all the way up to the fifth birthday, it is a big deal when you have a birthday. You have cake, you have huge parties, you because because the developmental milestones are so big and so meaningful. And I feel that way as a church. Like there's just there's so many firsts that you get to experience. Like I remember the first time we broke double digits, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in our little Bible Bible study group. I remember the first. I remember the first time we set an attendance record. Um, I remember the first baptism we had, first person spirit filled. The first time we had a revival service, I can tell you when it was and who the speaker was, who our first evangelist was. You know, the first time we just have a incredible sweeping move of God, and and people don't want to leave the church building. You know, the first time we had that. You know, so many different things that you can say, Hey, I was a part of the first time we did this. And that was really cool. Mm. Um, and just, and, and another thing that's really cool is, is, you know, a church that is, has, is large or has been around for a long time. You probably have heard the, the phrase, like, how do you move the piano one inch at a time? Right. Mm -hmm. Not in a church plant. If I want to move the piano, we pick the piano and we move it <laughs> because everybody that's there is behind you. Everybody's for you. And, and you can turn on a dime. You can change the entire structure of your church overnight almost. And people are behind it and they're cool with it because they don't have these long held traditions that they're bought into. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think we've had communion the same way twice. And everybody's cool with that because we don't have a certain way we're dug into doing it that we've been doing it for 20 years. We are now having church in our fifth different context um, because um, with COVID-19, 
Um, and, and we're probably going to have to do like so many other churches and go to an online format for a short period of time. But we had church in my home last Sunday. Um, moved, moved all the furniture out of the living room, set up chairs, all nine yards. That's the fifth different context we've had church in. And we had an incredible move of God. Mm. And, and his power was so present there and people were worshiping. And, and that's really cool to see that. It's really cool as a parent to see how in, integral your kids feel to this process. My kids love going to church. They love helping. Um, we have to like slow them down sometimes and back them off of helping because they want to help in areas where they're maybe not mature enough to help. They love it. They feel like it's their church and they get excited about like the milestones me and my wife are celebrating. My kids are celebrating those milestones too. They're excited about those milestones just like we are. Whereas, you know, if we were just uh, attending a larger, more established church, our kids probably wouldn't even notice some of those milestones, mm -hmm. but they feel it so acutely because they feel like they're a part of it. Right. Um, all my kids, except for the littlest one, has been baptized and spirit filled uh, through this process, and and it's been cool to watch that and see that. Um, and uh, and so just to see that whole you know maturation process and 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 uh, seeing people move from you know. Uh, the church I go to, to this is our church, to this is my church. That's that's a really cool transformation to see in people as well, and uh, and and to be a part of that, and um, just how tight knit the community is when you're when you're all kind of starting a church. Because at some point, it's it's not we're starting the church anymore. It's kind of we're all starting it together, right? And how how, how tight knit everybody becomes in that process is, is really cool to watch. Man, that's, that, that's awesome. I love hearing about that. I love, I love church plants. You know, um, I, I remember the, um, the smallest church plant that I ever preached for was they were having to, at the time they were holding all services in their home. And the night that I preached, I think that they ended up having, um, I think there was about nine or 10 people there. And, you know, when you come from a larger church and you've got the, the music and you've got the lights and you've got yeah. the PowerPoint presentations and I mean, you've got everything. And then going into that atmosphere where when we sung, we didn't have all the musical instruments. It was just our voices. Right. When we lifted up our hands to worship and you saw people worship and you saw people praise. And, and it's not like where you can hide in a big church, you know, where, Oh, is somebody going to see me clap my hand or something? But when you saw that the impact of that, and you could feel the spirit of God, just come in there and just sweep into that place. And I mean, I just, it, it was so wonderful to see that and to be a part of that. And, and I just, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I mean, when we first got started, we had a, you know, the cheapest full size keyboard we can get. I think we paid like $150 for it and we had a, a, a box to drum on and that was it. Mm -hmm. And nobody cared. We just, we just had a move of God. And I think, man, that is, that to me is, you know, I feel like I've said like 15 things are the most exciting, but it's hard to rank them. Um, but probably like far and away, the coolest part about it is everybody wants to be there. You don't, let's, let's be real, man. You don't go to a church plant because it's got the best music program in your community or the best Sunday school program or the best preaching probably, or the best Sunday school. Any, we're not the best in our community at, anything. Um, I hope we're the best at loving people, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I can't claim that I haven't been to every church in our community. Um, we're not the best at anything. Uh, but people are there because they feel a draw. They feel a connection. They feel a sense of purpose. They feel like we're going somewhere. Everybody's there because they, they, they want to be there in a, in a world where, in a world where churches are becoming more and more consumer centric, where people go church shop shopping similar to the way they would go shopping for a gym or mm -hmm. shopping for a grocery store or shopping for underwear. Like they want a church to check all the boxes and we check nobody's boxes, but they're all there. Mm. And that is, that is a cool thing. And, and 
the majority of people, when you say, why, why are you here? The majority of them respond because I feel a sense of community here. And because I feel a defined presence of God here. Mm. And, and to me, if we've got those two things and we don't get anything else, right. I'm okay with that. Mm. I want to get everything else. Right. 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 But if we're only going to get two things, right. Let's make it those two. Mm. That's that. That's good. And, you know, and I think that you're spot on in in regards to how easy it is for people to get lost in the larger crowds. You know, I'll never forget years ago, uh, right before my grandfather passed away, he began to tell me just some experiences that he'd had through his life. And uh, real quick, he had left the church and then later on uh, came back into the church and he began to tell me these stories, but one of the things that kind of pushed him away, he made some mistakes, not to say that he didn't, but one of the things that pushed him away is he said that people did not reach out to him. People, even when he started missing consecutively, uh, he was not getting phone calls. He was not getting people that he felt really were concerned about him. And so the impact that just the community and, and even in a smaller thing, as it grows, uh, is so impactful to people's lives. And I think it's important. And we, no matter what size, when you look at a number size of a church, it doesn't matter. You can never get that wrong. Once you start getting that wrong, you might as well just shut the doors anyway, because you know, you've lost the heart of God. Now he's preaching. Ah. (laughs) Now, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. And and I don't know if it's that, that God gives it to just, just, ministers or or he gives it to everybody, but maybe ministers tune into it more. But I think that there's, he speckles this, this love for people and no matter what they do, you're always looking for that redemptive quality, you know, of how can I be there? How can I be active? And it's really about getting that mindset into your church to where all people share that same principle and share that same feeling when they're dealing with others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know that we're over our time and I know I've got some editing to do to kind of make the flow of this, this correct. But I think that there's, there's some lot, there's a lot of nuggets in, in this podcast. And, and one of the things, and I know that people that listen, they can't see, I mean, I can see your face, but they can't see it. Um, is when you begin to talk about the things you love about church planning, you know, you light up. It's different than when you're talking about anything else. It's different than when you're talking about doing corporate training. It's different than when you, you're talking about writing curriculum or anything. It's like a, a light bulb or something turns on and it's like, it's like you were, the, the switch is turned on where it was turned off and you're connected And, uh, I would just say, don't ever lose that man. don't ever lose that. Stay focused. I know that our family is going to be praying, uh, with you guys. And I want to see God do great things there at your church. I know right now to your point earlier, uh, churches are having to modify the way that, uh, they communicate. They're having to do a lot of live streams and everything. So we'll be praying with you guys, uh, as you continue down, trying to figure out what that process looks like as well. But uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast with us. I mean, I really appreciate the invitation. It's kind of you and uh, appreciate your friendship. Absolutely. 